On July 7, 2020, at 4.30 a.m., my husband Brad was in a cycling accident. He survived, but with a traumatic brain injury. Hi, I'm Alyssa Cousins, your host of Self-Care Spotlight. Since 2017, I've been dedicated to Real Talk Self-Care, and this season, we're focusing on one healing modality, writing, specifically poetry. Welcome to the Poetic Healing Series. I'm currently writing my first poetry memoir about this journey, but in the meantime, I want to highlight the poets and poetess out there who are sharing the messy human experience through the art and catharsis of beautiful words. Because the world needs healing and hope and human relating more than ever. So every week, you'll hear a different conversation with one of today's well-known poetry authors on poems to heal racial injustice, sexual empowerment, to using your voice, love, and so much more. As a bonus, they'll share some pieces with spoken word. I am not here to be a poet. I am here to feel my feelings and thus maybe help you feel yours. I refuse to be ashamed of the fact that my body does bleed each month. It is why we are all here, and for that I will not tuck my tampons into my sleeve as I scurry to the bathroom. It really is no secret that we bleed. That comes from today's guest, Asia Mayrock. Continuing with features for Mental Health Awareness Month, today's guest, Asia Mayrock, was bullied years ago as a teenager, but found a healthy outlet for the emotional upheaval of that time. Starting with the publication of The Survival Guide to Bullying, which she published when she was just 19 years old and which was picked up by Scholastic, to today and the publication of Dear Girl, Asia has used her words and actions to help others find their voice. She was named one of the Today Show's Heroes of the Year in 2018 and has been the face of several campaigns with Saks Fifth Avenue, Keds, Philosophy, and her work has been published and featured on Good Morning America, The View, The Today Show, Forbes, Huffington Post, USA Today, Teen Vogue, BuzzFeed, Refinery29, People, and Seventeen. She has performed her original poetry to over 4 million people across the United States in the last four years alone, including at Madison Square Garden and the United Nations. Quite a resume, yeah? Asia truly felt like a girlfriend that I've known for some time. She was so humble and easy to talk to, and we both agreed that a cup of coffee when I visit New York is definitely in order. On to the show. Okay, we are officially recording here with the one and only Asia Mayrock, who, honestly, I think you've maybe heard this before, I would guess. You have probably one of the coolest names. Let's just start there. Thank you. Thank you. What a cool name. Um, Honestly, it's it's truly a pleasure to have you here. I'm so excited. This is a perfect conversation for springtime because, number one, um, 
the series, you know, this series, Poetic Healing. Number one, it's coming out in April because it's National Poetry Month. Then we've got May, and that's Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes. All of this together, I am so excited that you are a guest for this show, this, this specific series. It's just so perfect. The work that you do and that you're putting out into the world, it's just very aligned, and I'm very grateful that you decided to be here. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you, and I love everything that you've told me about this series that you're doing, um, and I, I can't wait to talk to you. Absolutely. So I've been asking everybody this same question to kind of get into things because I love to know the story. Because stories are really, I mean, that's what makes us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Your story has gotten you to where Asia Mayrock is right now. So when it comes to poetry, you are uber successful. I mean, your bio in and of itself, I mean, you know, this is something that everyone just listening to this podcast, I would have, you know, they've listened already to your bio when I introed you, right? In podcast land, that will happen in the future when I will record that. And you're very impressive and you're very successful, right? So what I want to know really is, yes, it's one thing to see you being successful in the poetry world, the the spoken performer world, but how did you arrive into poetry as that expression? Um, Really, it's the question of why poetry is what I want to know. Yeah. Well, first, I love that you're asking this question because honestly, I don't think I've gotten this question before and it's a uh, a really interesting part of my journey, I think. Um, So growing up, I always would love writing and I used writing as my way of trying to cope while I was experiencing bullying. So for those that don't know my story, I uh, was bullied from the time I was eight until I was 16. Um, I used to have a lisp and a stutter And I was bullied every single day in school to the point where I would come to school and my classmates would tell me to kill myself. And when I was a freshman in high school, a girl that I had never met dressed up as me for Halloween, posted it online and suddenly I was faced with cyberbullying that I never even thought was possible. Um, I didn't have a public uh, social media, you know, I was just a regular student. So... Anyway, during that period, I didn't speak up for myself and I didn't really use my physical voice because I was bullied for the way I spoke. And so I would write. And um, I wound up writing my first book, The Survival Guide to Bullying, in in high school um, because I, I had obviously suffered for many years with bullying, but I was also seeing that there were so many stories of young people around the world that had taken their life because of bullying. And I knew that this was an issue that was international and I knew that pain and I was really angry that no one showed up for those people and that they weren't able to be helped. Um, and so I wanted to do something about it and I wrote my first book never thinking that it would actually like amount to anything. And then I self-published it and one month after I self-published it, Scholastic acquired it as the only self-published book they had acquired at that time and it came out. Um, And when I started speaking all over the U.S. on the beginning of my book tour, I would tell my story through poetry. 
And I had been writing poetry for years, but I didn't necessarily call it poetry. I think that um, for me, it was just the easiest way for me to express myself. And then I realized, I always say vulnerability breeds vulnerability in my opinion. And when I started sharing my story through poetry, I noticed that the young people in the audiences would start to open up and share their story. And suddenly schools where administrators had told me, oh no, we don't have bullying here at all. Every single student would get up and want to share their story and re like raise their hand. And it, it became a completely different type of climate that was much more open and much more vulnerable. And I, through that process, fell in love with performing and fell in love with writing poetry. Um, and then I just began to write all sorts of uh, poetry on on different topics um, and continue to try to share it with as many people as I could. Wow. Okay. I'm just going to unpack all that. So number one, you it's really quite amazing to me that you had these speech impediments. Yeah. And yet now you're a spoken word performer. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just acknowledge that for a moment wow amazing would it be fair to say that really like the you feeling like you weren't you said I wasn't speaking up for myself when I was being bullied so then really it just was the, the outlet for you not speaking up was I put it onto a page and write is that what you did yeah yeah, I think so. I, I think at that time, it wasn't thought out like that. I don't think I even realized what I was doing, but I was trying to work through whatever it is I was dealing with, and I was trying to find some sort of meaning in it. And for me, writing was always that place where I felt safe, and I felt free to express myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're right. I think I, I was finding my voice through that period and through writing. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. You know, just hearing you say it. Um, like, okay, I can't, I'm not saying it audibly. Right. But I can write it. Yeah. And that gives me some power. And I can take that back. Right? Like, I can take my power back. That's what I feel. And that's how I feel like all, right, like, journaling, I mean, really writing in and of itself, whether or not it's poetry, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Any sort of creative expression, I think, can be that for so many people. I'm really curious because when you say when these people, these young people started coming up to you and wanting to share and open up their yeah. story when you started sharing through poetry, this question just came to me. There's the self-help book world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's different than the poetry world. Those yeah. are not the same book. Yeah. Why this, again, this question just came to me. So I mean, forgive me if I'm not gracefully phrasing this. Why do you think the poetry spoke and speaks to people mm. differently, like hits different than yeah. say the million, <laughs> so many self-help books. I'm not bashing self-help. Yeah. I've read plenty. <laughs> but there's a difference. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So I'm just curious if you want to just speak to that. It's It's a really good question. And I don't know. I think in that specific situation, part of it was that I was a few years older from the students I was speaking to. I was standing in front of them and I was revealing the most difficult, um, challenging part of my life at their age. And I was sharing it like so publicly in front of them. Um, and I was doing it through this, uh, method. Like I I think poetry is, is very musical Mm -hmm. and, um, my poetry I think is often, um, lyrical in a sense or or my spoken word poetry. Um, and so I think there was just something to that, all of that combined that I think opened a door for a lot of the young people to feel more comfortable sharing their story. That's an excellent point. Uh, the musical lyrical. Yeah. Because music is so healing. Exactly. Yeah. And we know that. Yeah. Right. Any song can like take you to a place or a feeling or a memory. It can change your state of mind. So that's an excellent point that spoken word poetry has this cadence to it mm-hmm. that it kind of like it's like a lullaby yeah yeah it like lulls you in this way that's like it's holding you yeah and it's also something that anyone can do I uh I personally don't play instruments I would love to but I don't know that I'm that musically gifted to be honest um and I'm not a very good singer but I was essentially just sharing words and using my voice. And so I think a lot of young people were like, oh, I can do that too, which they totally can. Anyone can do it. Anyone can write and perform. And um, so I think there's something very empowering about that. So I'm jumping questions here, but because you brought it up, I'm going to go there. The That spoken word point, how you're saying really anyone can do this because it's your voice. Yeah. You don't have to be able to play an instrument. You don't have to be able to sing. Yeah. Which, no, I can't do either of those things either. <laughs> now, I will say there is an art. I don't want to say that, like, um, I don't mean to say that there's not an art form to, to spoken word because there absolutely is. Mm. And yet, you're right, that anyone can totally go out there and give it a go and, and, and do spoken word poetry. Do you think, um, hmm, what pulls you to the spoken word medium? Because you, I feel like, are one of the poets, at least to me, out there that does feel like a, that that's a part of like how your, your brand, I think, has a lot of that performance aspect to it. And that can't be said for all poets. Mm, yeah. I know plenty of poets that have n- I've never seen them do spoken word. Yeah. Why does that feel so important to you? Or did that just come naturally? Or is it because yeah. you're overcoming the, you know, the, the, the speech impediments? Like, yeah. why are you so pulled to that part when not all poets are? Yeah, it, it's so true. And I, and I think there's so many different types of poetry. Like, I'll sometimes write poetry that I know is not really meant to be performed. I mean, I'm sure it could be, but I'll read it and 
and think this looks a lot better just on the page and I wouldn't know how to express it with my voice. Um, and then there are other poems that I think don't look as great on the page or don't resonate the same on the page, but resonate so much more through the voice. So I think there's so many styles of poetry and, and it makes it so exciting and, and magical because there's so many types of poets and types of poetry and spoken word. Uh, for me personally, I think that I've, I always loved performing as a kid, um, and I didn't really necessarily always get that chance, like in school plays or something, because of the, um, the uh, speech impediments that I was struggling with. Um, and so I think when I was able to tell my story, because the first poems that I started writing and performing were that of my own story, and so I think there was something very empowering and and um like I, I i think it was almost like a a spiritual experience maybe of of being able to step in front of a crowd of people um and share my story and share really painful parts of my story through my voice through rhyming and weaving these words together um and see it resonate on the faces of the people watching so I think there is something that always drew me to the performance part. Um, and I think for every poet, it's different. Like a lot of poets don't like performing and a lot of poets love performing. And so I think I, I always hear the poems in my head before I, or I'll hear part of it before I actually put it on paper. And that's kind of my own personal process or how, how it comes to me. Um, and so it's always been like an integral part of my writing experience. And I also find it a little bit more fun than the writing part. Um, the writing part can be very isolating and a lot of self-doubt and a lot of time alone with your thoughts. <laughs> so for me, I always look at the performance part as like the reward. Yes. And I've started even tinkering in doing more spoken word myself and I agree it's really fun yeah it does feel like you're performing but it's it's yours and it's your words and it's like your heart and so it's it, I totally get what you're saying when you say it's like a spiritual experience yeah yeah and the word that comes through for me is that I've been kind of playing with is that it's embodied poetry mm. that's what it is to me yeah yeah. And as a teacher of embodiment, um, that just felt natural to call it that. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's ever a term people use in the spoken word community, um, but to me, it's embodied poetry. Yeah. I, I, I love that term, and I haven't heard it before, but I, I love it, and I think you should coin it. Okay. <laughs> GM it over here. Yeah, that's how it feels to me, because it's so much more than just saying it it's like using your whole body yeah your your hand gestures the intonation in your voice your facial expressions like you can you can get so into it uh -huh. and those are the ones that always mesmerize me yeah definitely they pull me into the human experience behind the words yeah yeah i feel like i could talk forever about that <laughs> no it's it's true there's so many layers to it and i think Sometimes I'll, in, in pre-COVID 
world, um, whenever I would go to open mics or like spoken word poetry um, events, when you hear those people that, you know, are, are to use your term, um, embodying their poetry, you can feel it also in your body. And it's just such a unbelievable feeling. Exactly, exactly. I want to transition a little bit to specifically the, the dear girl. Yeah. I've got an interesting question that I, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, but I'm going to ask it. The dear girl, what was the decision behind girl, not woman? Hmm. Did that ever cross your mind to call it dear woman or did it always feel like you wanted to speak it to girl and that that somehow spoke to a wider range of ages? Yeah, I, I it's a great question and I, I think you're right. I don't think anyone's ever asked me it. Um, I So dear girl came from a poem I wrote um, about maybe a year and a half, two years before I wrote the book called Dear Girl. Um, and Dear Girl, the poem was really a, a letter to all girls and women. Um, and so when I looked at all of the poetry that I had to put together into this book and I, I don't, I can't remember if I had the title when I put everything together or if it came after, but I think that similarly to what you said, I felt like Dear Girl was a wider umbrella um, because I, I worried that, and I don't know that I thought about Dear Woman, but if I had, I think what my instinct is telling me, I would have thought that people younger than whoever considers themselves a woman would maybe not relate or resonate. Um, and so I think that's kind of where it came from. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. What comes to my mind, I, by the way, I actually, I love the decision that it intuitive, I think you were spot on with calling it Dear Girl. Yeah. To me, I think of my inner child mm. in a lot of ways. Mm. Because, you know, the, the book, you know, you it says, you know, I'm just going to actually, I'm going to read it <laughs> from your, this is right from your website uh, about the Dear Girl book. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll just read I'll just read this. Oh yes, go for it. Dear Girl is a journey from girlhood to womanhood through poetry. It is the search for truth in silence, the freeing of the tongue. It is deep wounds and deep healing and the resilience that lies within us. It is a love letter to the sisterhood. So to me, um yeah, I think of my inner child. I think that girlhood to womanhood I get that reflection where it feels really beautiful and very poetic in and of itself. Um, on a personal note, what do you think is one of your biggest lessons, which I'm sure you wrote about, what do you think is one of your biggest lessons in your own girlhood to womanhood journey? If you had to like pinpoint this yeah. lesson from girlhood to womanhood, that was a big one for me. That was a big learning for me. Maybe it's one. Maybe you're like, oh, it's these. I have to say it's this. these two. I can't pick one. I'm just curious. Yeah. I think that – so I, I think I'm still on that journey. Um, sure. 
Me too. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I think what I would say about myself now and looking back at earlier parts of my journey, um, I wished I had understood or embraced the power of my voice sooner because I feel like for so many years I either didn't believe in the power of my voice or I didn't, maybe I was afraid of it or I didn't want to embrace it for whatever reason. Um, and I think, so I think that's one thing. And I think the other thing would be that I wish I had trusted myself um, more and, and trusted my own strength and my own uh, ability to take on whatever it was that I was having to take on at that point in time. Um, so I guess all of that connects to confidence. <laughs> and definitely I'm still working on that. Uh, and it's definitely been a journey. But I think those are probably the two most significant things I look back on and think, hmm, I wish, I wish younger Asia knew that. Right. Well, you're certainly making up for it. And <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> you're using your voice in such an impactful way now, right? Yeah. And I, I think I want to say to that note, a lot of people ask me, like, you know, if you're still on that journey of um, accepting yourself, loving yourself, then how do you use your voice without being scared? And to that, I would say, I, I believe that you can live with that fear and, and persevere and continue and continue to work on embracing your power, even with that fear, um, kind of welcoming the fear to the table with you. And it's something that I live with all the time. I'm definitely not a fearless person. Um, and, and I think that's okay. I don't even think it's realistic to say you can be fearless. No, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. definitely with Liz Gilbert on this one. The whole, have you read Big Magic? I haven't. It's on my list. I know. Well, girl, <laughs> you got to read it. She always uses the analogy that fear, what does she say? It's, I think she says it's in the back seat, or it's in the yeah. Um, on another podcast that I was doing, literally the host gave the exact same example. Yes. Right? Like, it can't decide, it can't touch the steering wheel, it yeah. can't change the music, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's an amazing analogy. Right. It's so true. I mean, I, I definitely think that it's so unrealistic to think we can just be fearless. I mean, I'm sure... I still get nervous just even recording these podcasts, and I've been Thank doing you. them. I'm nervous right now. <laughs> I've been doing them since 2017, and I still get those butterflies. Like, yeah. who am I? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yet, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Like, use the voice, right? Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. What do you think is something that's kind of surprised you about publishing, Dear Girl? Like from reactions from 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 fans, from readers, maybe like a common a common thing that you hear all the time or 
um, something that totally, maybe not common, something that totally surprised you? I'm just curious based off the reactions you've gotten because it's been so well received. Yeah. Um, so the book was supposed to come out in April 2020. And then when COVID hit, we pushed it to August 25th, 2020. Um, so obviously it came out at a really difficult time. And I think I, because of the fact that so much had changed in the world and was continuing to go on in the world, I really let go of so many of my hopes and expectations because it was no longer something that I could have any control over. And I was just like, you know what, this book is going to do whatever it is meant to do and people are going to take what it, take from it whatever they can. Um, because I, I just didn't know, I didn't know how it would be received because I felt like so much had changed between when I wrote it and when it came out. Uh, but what I was really so happy and, and I don't know if surprised is the word, but excited to see is that I, I would receive messages from people all over the world of all ages, of all stages of life mm -hmm. um, that resonated with different parts for different reasons and for reasons that sometimes I could never even think of when I was writing it. Like, I think that's a really interesting part. And I remember when I was younger in school and we would learn about different writers and and we would say like, oh, this is what this passage means. And I would always think to myself, well, how do we know? Because if the writer isn't alive to tell us today, how do we actually know what they were thinking? And so I had this really weird moment when I started getting messages and people would tell me why this piece of writing resonated so deeply with them. And I would think to myself, that is not at all what I meant when I wrote that, but wow, the fact that those words can translate and mean that for you is so magical. Um, and to this day, those messages specifically just, it boggles my mind because I think that is the magic of storytelling and mm -hmm. writing and poetry is that, you know, I'm sure you relate to this, like I'll read a book at one place in my life and then when I'm in a different stage of my life I'll read it again and it means such different things right uh, yeah for sure for sure do you think that there's um how do I want to say this from the book what's what's one theme from the book that you think people resonate with the most hmm. um it's hard to say because I don't know what everyone's experience is with it. Um, I'm trying to think based on the messages I've gotten, um, what seems to be the common thread. Um, but I don't think I have the answer to that. I, I think though, one thing I've noticed is that the way in which it's divided into these sections mm -hmm. that kind of take you through different steps on this journey, I think that really either resonates with people or or just helps um, because the way I designed it, I remember taking all of the uh, actual pages and putting them on my floor and rearranging them to try to figure out which would be suited better in which chapter and like how to really make this a journey where it felt like someone was leading you along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that structure uh, 
has been helpful um and the poems that correspond with it uh but I don't know if I if I have the answer to your sure. question that's fair that's fair yeah. it's you know that makes sense to me that like that the structure you're speaking to it can help people to understand themselves yeah yeah because we're humans are just messy yeah and yet when someone can come along and somehow try to create structure yeah. out of all of that chaos yeah. It can create some clarity. Yes. Definitely. You help facilitate that with your book. Yeah. Now, I just had a really good thought. Oh, yeah, there it was. It came back. We ch- I want to just loop back here for a second to the voice part. Mm-hmm. And you feeling like you really just like, you know, wanting to use your voice. You wish you could go back and tell little Asia, like, use your voice. Yeah. Who do you think... Um, ooh, maybe, okay, I'm going to go there. Who do you think or where do you think you felt, like, why did you feel or where did you feel that suppression coming from? Did that come from family? Did that come from, like, where, is it just because of the bullying aspect? Like, where did that suppression of Asia's voice, where did that come from? And ultimately... How did you get past it? I think a lot of women struggle with that aspect of speaking up, right? You hear that all the time. I mean, my goodness, there's even the whole idea of, you know, the believe women. Mm -hmm. Again, it comes back to the throat chakra and speaking up and actually being heard and believed, right? So where did that suppression come from, that block for you? And then how did you really get past it? Yeah, yeah. I think the short answer is that it came from myself because the truth is that there were people in my life that would have listened to me. And even if they didn't understand, and even if it took a while, they were there. But I think what happened early on to me is that the first few people I told, like specifically within my school, um, they didn't do anything. Or when they did, they would put me and the person that was bullying me in a room and close the door and say, you can come out when you figure it out. And obviously that made things a lot worse. And then with the added layer of the speech impediments, you know, leading to the bullying, um, I honestly, and I've said this before, and, and it, it's it's sad and painful to admit, but I think I gave up on myself and getting help pretty early. Um, I think part of that is the culture of bullying, because I think at that age, it doesn't matter if an adult that you love and trust in your life is telling you that you're worthy and that you're valuable. If everyone in your peer group, in your class is telling you the opposite, I think that it really becomes quickly ingrained in you that, because I think at that age, you're so susceptible to listening and believing to what the other young people around you are saying. So at least in my experience, I think I very quickly started believing the people around me that were my age versus the adults that I could have gone to and gotten help from. Um, And then I think it became a sort of habit or pattern where I just continued to stay silent and I saw the first few times of asking for help as not making any difference or making things worse. And so I think it turned for me personally to, okay, I'm doing something wrong. Like this is my fault. And if I 
continue to speak up and ask for help, then like it, it will be blamed on me because it must be me that's doing something. Like why, otherwise, why would this be happening? And that's, I think, a, a really big issue for a lot of people that are dealing with bullying. And it's the first chapter of my first book. Um, it's called Why Me? And basically the answer is like, it's not about you at all. Like <laughs> that is not what this cycle of cruelty is based upon. But it's really hard to wrap your head around it. And I think it, it can for many young people result in staying silent and and giving up on speaking up pretty early on Mm -hmm. how did you start then to change that habit yeah I'm trying to think back to for me I remember when the kind of the floodgates opened was when I started writing about my Mm -hmm. story because for the first time I was acknowledging to myself what had been going on and what I had been suppressing Mm -hmm. within myself for a long time. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was having conversations with my parents about it. um, And I think the combination of writing to work through it, which for me was the medium that I always had gone to anyway. So I felt very safe and I felt very free to express myself in that medium. And then also beginning to slowly talk to the people I love in my life about that part of my life. I think all of that combined, and it took years, really, really helped me. And then later on, I wound up going to therapy and, you know, continuing to work on myself. Mm-hmm. But um, but it, it took a while. And I honestly feel like I, there are steps to, I think, reclaiming your voice. And so even when I published my first book and was speaking and all of this stuff, I did feel really confident. And I did feel like I had reclaimed a really big part of myself. But I I definitely wasn't fully there and in the last few years um, and definitely in the last year itself I feel like I have even taken another step on that journey Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you'll feel that way even in a couple more years oh for sure (laughs) like that's what's so exciting I think about getting older is um, I I love uh, talking to like elders because I just think it is so cool to hear from people who've experienced so much more life than me about their journey and um, and how they look at their younger self at different stages in life. Um, and so I think you're totally right. I, I think that for every stage in life, we all will probably look back and be like, wow, I grew so much. Right. It's all just a reclamation. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems like it's fair to say that really a huge part then of the girlhood to womanhood for you has been a lot of... Um, that mental health piece and the mindset, how you talk to yourself, um, how you view yourself. Uh, yeah. 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 I think, I think for me, it's definitely been a really big part. Um, and I think working on the relationship with myself, which obviously ties into everything you just said, um, has been a huge part of my own journey. Right. And again, I know I'm looping back to this, but I keep hearing inner child. I'm looping back to that again, because when I think of that inner, when I think of the self work, Mm -hmm. almost always to me, the inner child, which I know some people might be rolling their eyes about, like, okay, here we go. (laughs) But I really do. That's what my my brain thinks to the, the little 
girl in, in all of us, right? The, the little boy, the, you know, that part of us that we're, we're, we have to like nurture that part of ourselves to really fully claim this adult sovereign aspect of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're spot on. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is as good a time as any, I want to take a poetic pause. Okay. So we're talking all things vulnerability here and you learning to share your voice and be more vulnerable with sharing your voice and speaking up. I know you have a piece picked out that's a favorite of yours. So I want to invite everyone. If you're driving, please obviously keep your eyes open. Otherwise, you can sit up nice and tall through your spine. You can close down your eyes, soften down your jaw and your facial muscles, even your tongue. You can just let it relax. We'll just take a breath in through the nose. And then just a soft breath out of the mouth. And Asia, whenever you're ready, go for it. This piece is called Wounds Like Crown Jewels. Growing up, the world taught me that vulnerability should be a secret. I grew up believing that the hero of a story never showed signs of weakness. I disguised my demons so there would be no sign of struggle. My vulnerability is not my weakness. It is my superpower. I wear it like a cape and watch mouths gape at the sight of a warrior wearing wounds like crown jewels. My vulnerability is more powerful than wielding a sword or a shield. No one teaches us that resilience rises like a wildfire from pain. The battles you fight do not take away from who you are. Dare to teach the world that weakness doesn't exist. Weakness is just a seed that no one sees sprouting into genius. Own your story like you wrote it by yourself. You are the hero. The hero is imperfect. Wear those wounds like crown jewels. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, did you? I don't know. I was smirking. <laughs> I was like smirking up a storm over here. Oh, I love it. I love hearing it. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Oh, oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Now I'm trying to collect myself. (laughs) This is what happens. I get swept away in these podcast recordings when people start reading their words and I have to like recollect myself. And center. Well, you're amazing. Like you are so good at at this convers, like at hosting these <laughs> conversations and like asking questions and going on, you know, different tangents. Oh. Like it's so natural and it's so easy to talk to you. So oh. you're you're amazing. <laughs> oh, we're just having a love fest, just a love yeah. fest back yeah. and forth. Thank yeah. you, I appreciate that. That was beautiful, and you know. Oh my goodness. So that, that honestly, you're so right. That, that piece that you picked out, it, I, and I didn't know, you know, everything, all those beautiful words necessarily word for word. And yet that's exactly what we just talked about for this entire 
this entire chat. Yeah, that's why I was thinking that was probably the right piece for it. But, like, I didn't, you didn't know what I was going to ask you. That's true, I didn't. <laughs> and just the sense of what I got from our yeah. conversation before, I was like, you, I think this will be the right fit. <laughs> you read it perfectly um and you nailed it that's exactly where the whole conversation went it's beautiful I think you know there you have so many different pieces to choose from that I could have asked you to read but I, I love that you picked that and that's why I'm asking all these authors like can you just pick and you pick which one like is your favorite that's so awesome and it was beautiful and perfect and it framed the whole conversation um you know there's, there's one more piece that I want to ask you, and I feel like if I don't ask, I'd be bummed I didn't. The piece about um, talking about women and talking about their bodies mm. and really that word reclaiming the sovereignty of your body, yeah. your body, your bleeding, like all of that. Yeah. Um, does that feel more and more important to you? How, well, if, I, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 25. Okay, is that feeling more and more important to you as you kind of get close? I find women, I'm 30. Okay. And I find... We're only five years apart. Yeah, we're super close. That's, yeah, that's something. We could be besties. So yes. <laughs> as I find women kind of get closer towards their, like, 30s, getting a little bit older, that there's this... They really start owning their bodies in, like, a totally different way than they do in their early 20s. Are you feeling that way? I'm just curious. Um, I think so. I think that my journey with my relationship to my body has gotten better as I've gotten older, as you mentioned. I think definitely high school, brutal. Um, and early 20s, I definitely felt I was less sure of myself, less comfortable in my body and owning my body um, and being proud of my body. So I, I think I think definitely as I get older, I start to feel more and more um, also very grateful of this home that I live mm-hmm. in and that, mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm lucky enough to exist in this body. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think definitely, I think there's so many factors that play into it. Um, And I think also the more that, you know, like, for example, in in this last year with um, the pandemic, I think I feel a a great gratitude and responsibility toward my body to to give it the most love and care that I possibly can, because I know that health is something that um, you that I think a lot of people take for granted, including myself, um, and that, you know, you can't buy and you can't get back necessarily all the time. So, um, yeah, I, I think definitely in the last year, not only have I felt more sure of uh, the love I have for my body, but also more respect and responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I can definitely speak to that on the side of having had my husband you know, physically lose so many capabilities. Granted, now he's on an amazing recovery journey and is killing it. (laughs) Um, Getting back to his Ironman triathlete self. Um, 
He's he is. He's getting there. He is so he's impressive. Wow. Um, but yes, the huge amount of respect and when you're talking about specifically, you know, I know you've written even about women's bodies in terms of their cycles, their bleeds. Yeah, yeah. And <sighs> holy wow. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think definitely when I was growing up, and I know still, and especially, you know, in many places around the world, there is so much shame and stigma and uh, about something that is so normal and mm-hmm. something that is beautiful and, you know, a part of why we are all here. So it was definitely important to me to to talk about that in my writing as well, mm-hmm. to talk about um, the way that we raise our girls and our daughters, the way that our society and culture has created these unrealistic beauty standards that are unattainable and and really not healthy. Um, so I, I wanted, as you mentioned, to to talk about all of these aspects as they pertain to loving and caring for our bodies because I know it's affected my life and my relationship with my body and I'm sure many, many, many people as well. Right, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, hmm. so this is interesting. When you were just speaking to that, um, I keep thinking to myself, should I ask that? Then I'm like, mm, maybe I should. Um, has it ever occurred to you or have you ever thought about the fact in terms of beauty Um, Because you brought that up. You are a beautiful person. Thank you. Right? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Have you ever, um, have you ever thought about that idea that, or maybe this is something, this is honestly, obviously a huge conversation, but when you're talking about different, that word privilege if you've ever heard of like people literally talk about like beauty privilege, like, oh, you have stereotypical, beautiful mm. attributes. Um, you know, you have big eyes, you know, mm. or you have fuller lips, you have gorgeous hair, you have fair skin. Um, has that ever been something anyone's ever asked you about, you've ever thought about in terms of the privilege that you have? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually remember when I was writing my first book and when it came out um, and and those questions and conversations coming up, especially with other young people that I was speaking to. And it's it's a huge thing. Um, And it definitely, you know, affects everyone's experience, you know, depending on what is going on in their life, um, the color of their skin, like, you know, all of these different aspects that that contribute to systemic racism, to oppression, to all of the issues that we have um, seen, especially more brought to the forefront in the last year, thank goodness. Um, and so it's something that I, I definitely have thought a lot about that I feel really um, strongly and passionately about and um, that I... I want to continue to work on and to to amplify many voices and to use my platform to change the way that all of these things are continued to be upheld in our world and in our country. 
Right. And I appreciate you even attempting to answer that question because it's yeah. a, that's a loaded I as I was saying it, I'm yeah. like No, it's a big it's a big question, it's a big conversation mm-hmm. and there's there's so much there. But I appreciate you for asking it and yeah. for um, including that in this conversation because it's it's crucial to everything that we have talked about. Right. And I'm sure you that it you know, it would surprise me if you had never thought of that fact. Yeah, yeah. Considering yeah. it's like when you say dear girl, but what girl? What does that girl look like? Right, right. There's uh, actually a poem. I would love to read it. Um, yes. That Absolutely. Is, uh, that comes from when I was thinking about that um, conversation and that, um, let me find it. Yeah, here. Perfect. Um, I am sorry that the world has taught you that beauty is white and thin. I am sorry that the world has taught you that your thighs are not supposed to kiss as if they were lovers' lips or that your hair is supposed to be waxed or clipped as if your body were someone else's lawn. Mm. So I definitely tried to, you know, make that a very big and and important part of the work that I share Um, and uh, something that I'll definitely continue to put a lot of emphasis on. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for answering that as... Yeah. Thank you. Sometimes, like, I'm like, "Mm, should I go there? (laughs) No, no, it's it's very important. And yeah, like, I but I need to. For going there. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a journalist. Sometimes I feel like <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so my last uh, last two questions for you before we do our rapid fire: Is there anything that's really pulling at your heart right now to write about? Are you working on something to write? Are you pausing right now because you just did? You know, you're in the dear girl world. Um, I'm just curious, like, where do you see yourself going? Are you just kind of pausing with your girl? Uh, yeah. Um, no, so my, a big part of my dream is to write for TV and film one day. Um, and so I would love to write more, um, I would say like fictional scripted stories mm-hmm. for hopefully film and TV one day. Um, and I'm interested in telling so many different types of stories. Um, I'm interested in finding a way to create content that is really entertaining and engaging and thrilling and also is able to to convey messages that are really important um, and to uplift voices in general, um, and in so many aspects of life and different communities and all of that. Um, right now I'm really interested in stories about, uh, older people, um, because I think that, that especially in this country, um, there's not a great, um, way of, of protecting and giving support to a lot of older people, um, whether, that is through services or healthcare or whatever it might be. And uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I love speaking to old elderly people. Um, <laughs> and I do a lot of volunteering work with that. And so I think um, it's definitely something I've been thinking about, maybe what I would like to do in that space. Danielle Laporte, you know, she, the, you know Danielle Laporte? I don't. I also need to enlighten you about 
about this. I have a list here. Curly Girl Method. (laughs) She's an amazing author. My Um, favorite out out there on like the self-help type of world, if you will. And she says, you know, there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. um, Elderly people, older people, they have wisdom. Yes. Yes. Huge difference than knowledge. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's so true. Okay, so my last question for you that I ask everyone, since this is yeah. self-care spotlights, yeah, what does that word, what does self-care actually mean to you? Hmm. Huh. I think that for me, I remember when the when self-care became um, a more commercial like term and. Um, it was something I was seeing very commercially online. I, I, I felt like something was missing. I think a lot of people felt that way. Um, <laughs> and in my own journey, I've realized that for me personally, the self-care is that work on a much deeper level where I need to um, work on that relationship with myself. And, and, and everything that that means, whether it is working on um, being kinder to myself or working on the things I struggle with or working on expanding uh, my mind and my heart and my um, everything. <laughs> I think for me, self-care has been a lot about allowing myself to grow and welcoming that growth um, in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready for some rapid fire? Yes, I am. Okay. So first question, what time of day or hours do you think that you write the best? Early, early morning. Like I, I'm all about the, uh, oh, am I supposed to also answer very shortly? (laughs) If you want to elaborate, go for it. No. Okay. I'm just saying early, early morning. (laughs) Like how early? What's early? Um, 6 a.m. I have a weird, like, internal clock. I, my brain kind of shuts off in the evening, so I have to be up really early if I want to actually write. Okay, okay, so early morning. All right. What stereotype around poets do you think is true, at least for you? I'm definitely not up late at night. I go to bed at 9. <laughs> but I think that... I definitely can be emotional for sure. I, um, I definitely write when I'm in my feelings. So I think that aspect for me at least is very true. As Ariel Astoria said, she's like, how can you not be emotional, like an emotionally driven person and write poetry? Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I write my, unfortunately, I write my best stuff when I'm upset or sad or something like that. Isn't that the truth? I've always wondered, I, this is supposed to be rapid fire and here's me, but isn't that true? Like, even I remember, I've heard this on Oprah's show, like, she's asked this question on her podcast, you know, can you, can you get as much, like, wisdom from joy as you can from sorrow? Um, ah. I don't know. I almost want to say no. Like, it's not been my experience. Like, 
I agree with you, my best stuff. The whole reason I started even writing a memoir, poetry memoir, as I'm calling it, is because of one of the worst chapters of my life, which is my husband's traumatic brain injury. And I had never written poetry before. Yeah. But it came out like as if like it was the only yeah. thing I I had to do it and it just yeah. you know? So yeah. I might agree yeah. with you. Like Yeah. It's one of my be- your best your feels. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That question might never be answered. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question. I'm messing up the rapid fire. No, not at all. Name an artist or a song that you always come back to. Depth Over Distance by Ben Howard. Oh, Ben Howard. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. A book that changed your life or your perspective in a massive way. I would say Night by Ellie Wiesel. Mm -hmm. On a completely different category. Um, Netflix. Is there something that you are, that was an absolute, like you binged watched it recently or you're watching it right now that is just like total, like just, you're just binging it and you're doing it with no shame? I, I binged like way too, uh, quickly. Um, like, like binge binge, like I watched it in one morning. Um, the Cecil Hotel, um, docuseries. Yeah. Okay. My mother-in-law told me about that. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's intense. And they based American Horror Story, one of the... Off the hotel and the story with Elisa Lamb, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now I feel like I have to watch this. Everyone keeps talking about it. It's, it's, a, it's a journey watching it, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Last one. What is one poetic theme that you think you'll always write about? I think that I will always write about being in touch with your inner flame because I think it will continue to evolve as I get older, as you said. And I think it is a really, really important part of life. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful imagery. It is. It is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That kind of makes me wonder, um, what's your sun sign? I don't know. Wait, You're... is that my, my horoscope? Yes. I'm a Virgo. Okay. Okay. You're a Virgo. Hmm. Okay. What did you think I was? Well, I was curious if you were maybe attracted because of the flame. I'm like, maybe she's a fire sign, but without knowing the rest of your chart. But the... I think I'm an earth sign. Yeah. Yes. Like so I need to get more into this stuff. I'm not like very well versed on it, but I want to have those conversations with my friends whenever they bring it up. So Yes. <laughs> That's another thing that you can add to the Alyssa to-do list that I'm <laughs> giving yes, over. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. And it makes sense because Virgo is, um, it's like also known as like this, this very healing sign. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I just know that it's like a perfectionist, I think. That's one part. Very organized. <laughs> but it's also the healer. Okay. So that fits That's with cool. what you're doing for this world. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me see here. Where do I want us to go now? I want you to just tell us. I'm see. I was thinking about your astrology chart, and then I got sidetracked. That's what happened there. That's my brain blift. <laughs> okay, so 
I would love for you to tell everybody, um, this is your, your moment to say, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? I know you have a stellar Instagram page and I know that you definitely hang out on there. You share a lot of poetry there. So where can we find your books, your Insta, like best places to connect with you? And then we'll have you read to us. And as I said, just like close us out. Cool. Okay. So, um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube at Asia May Rock. My first name is spelled A-I-J-A and then May Rock. Um, and my books are available. I think the easiest place is asiamayrock.com slash dear girl. Um, and you can find like so many different outlets, uh, all around the world that it's available. Absolutely. And of course, I'll have everything in the show notes too, friends. So it'll be linked right on her episode page of where you can go to get to her website as well. We'll do that for easy peasy. Asia Mayrock, that's 100% your, that's your real name. Yeah, that's my real name. <laughs> I know people always are, are uh, asking me that. It's so good though. It's so Thank good. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of really cool poetry, poet names out there like Ariel Astoria, Asia Mayrock. And then I'm like, I feel like my name is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> Alyssa Cousins. Oh, your, your name is beautiful. Ah, cousins. It, it's spelled differently than cousin. It's spelled all wonky. It's K-U-Z-I-N-S. So maybe that's, that's really cool. Maybe I that... love Z's and names. I think Z is such a cool letter. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel better about that then. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead. And friends, she's going to read one more piece for us to just kind of fully integrate this whole conversation and these words and her gorgeous spoken word. So we're going to have her read. If you'd like to take one more final breath to just... Settle yourself in to hear her, Asia, whenever you are ready. Floor is yours. In the quiet of the night, I hear my story. Not my thoughts, my truth. The tethers to my ancestors, the silk web to my future children. I hear my birth and my death. I hear my story and I realize it's not just my story. It's the story of the ages how we walk gently between now and eternity. Thank you so much, Asia. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that was like the right fit for the closing poem. (laughs) It was perfect. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Here's to your poetic healing. And be sure to check in next week for my 100th episode, Oh My Goodness. I'm featuring Charleston's Poet Laureate and musician Marcus Amaker. This man truly is the epitome of artist to me, and this conversation will just feed your soul and inspire you to follow your heart and make art. He was the host of my first virtual open mic night, And he's honestly one of the coolest, most genuine dudes I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. You can hear more of my poetry and mine and Brad's story on Instagram at Alyssa Cousins, A-L-Y-S-S-A-K-U-Z-I-N-S. And please share, rate, and review this podcast should your heart feel called.